So glad you guys are here. Big welcome to everybody online as well. So uh, we're in Second Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, you heard Cody uh, in the announcements. You can always find the outline there uh, in the app. Uh, but uh, encourage you to do that as well. So tonight's going to be a little difficult. Uh, we we're we're trying to cover every chapter, right? So we're not we're going we're going through the verses, but we're not able to constantly dig in deep. And if there's a chapter that would require more than one night, this is it. Uh, because there is a lot of information in chapter two of the second book of Thessalonians. So uh, my apologies right up front. We're not going to get, we're going to cover it, uh, but we're not going to get as in depth. So if you have any questions, uh, Afterwards, and want to have a discussion, listen, you can email me. Uh, we'll get together and, and have those conversations. Just won't be able to get into everything uh, that we've got going on in this chapter. But needless to say, Paul writes the second letter within a pretty short time frame of writing the first letter to this group of people that he had nothing but positive things to say. And he writes it now in response to a concern that's been brought to his attention and that is that the people there at the church in Thessalonica are struggling because they've been taught or been told something that's caused them to be anxious and unsettled and that is that basically they're in the tribulation and that they've missed they've missed the opportunity to escape it with Jesus and so it's created some, some unsettled behavior in these believers. And so in this letter, specifically in chapter 2, Paul addresses that idea. I was told, a, told the story of a, of a guy in a small town that had passed away and knew he was going to pass away. So before he, he passed, he wasn't a believer. So before he passed, he got, he got his best friend. He got the local pastor. And he got his lawyer together and he called them into a meeting and he gave each of them an envelope with $25,000 in it. And he said, when I pass and I'm in my casket, when you guys pass before, I want you to put that envelope in my casket so that when I get to the afterlife, I won't be broke and I'll be able to live a decent life in the afterlife. So they agree. The funeral comes. Sure enough, all three of them go by the casket. All three of them drop the envelope in. Months later, these three men were gathered together to have a conversation about their friend and talk it through. And finally, at the lunch, the pastor just said, I can't take it anymore. He goes, I've got to be honest with you. He goes, he, he gave us 25000 a piece. He goes, I didn't put all 25000 in. He said, I only put 15000 in. He said, I just couldn't let the other 10000 go to waste. So he said, I kept some of that money and used it for the church. Two men just sort of sat there and didn't say anything. And eventually, eventually his best friend said, okay, fine. You know what? He goes, I was his best friend. And he said, I couldn't even go along with it. He said, I only left $5,000 in the envelope. He said, I took the other $20,000. And he said, and I invested it because I just didn't think it was smart for it to go to waste. And they sat there in silence, looking at the lawyer, waiting for his confession. And finally he looked at him and said, I can't believe you people. I can't believe you were terrible friends and didn't follow through and weren't trustworthy. 
He said, my envelope went in with all $25,000. I left my personal check in there to assure it was good. That's not a knock on lawyers, right? But sometimes, sometimes lies can come across as truth. Sometimes you can present something that's totally false in a way that seems to be true. That's what's happened in this letter. In this community, there's been a teaching that's been presented to these believers and it's been covered in the sense that basically they've said this is truth. They've got proof with a letter, right? They've got, they've got sort of using somebody else's name to validate that this is true. And so they've taken this idea that's false, but they've communicated it as true. And so that's sort of what I want to key in on today as we look at this second chapter. We're not going to stand and read all the verses. There are 17 of them, but we're going to cover a majority of them in our study. So if you got your notes, if you got your Bible, get the second Thessalonians chapter two. And here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the idea of bad teaching, right? Bad teaching, because sometimes things that are wrong can be taught as true. Yes or no, right? No place is that more evident than in churches, right? All you got to do is go to YouTube, pick a topic and you can find it, right? So let's talk about it in this way from this chapter. One, the power of bad teaching, right? The power of bad teaching. Here's what the first two verses say in 2 Thessalonians 2. Concerning the com- coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. In the Greek, this signifies one event with two separate With two separate parts of it, right? It's one thing, but there's two parts to it, okay? He said, so coming the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled. Okay, that word is used in the Greek. That word easily unsettled is used to describe what it feels like to go through an earthquake or what it feels like to be on a ship that's docked and moored, and it's trying to break free of its anchor because the seas are so rough. You got the picture? He said, I don't want you to be unsettled, right? And I don't want you to be alarmed, okay? You, you get the picture there by some prophecy, right? Some proclamation of a report or letters supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come, right? Listen, There's a lot of bad teaching. And here's what I want to get across tonight in this. Is I'm not going to go into the bad teaching right here. But I want you to see in scripture that this is a problem. Always has been a problem. And it's going to continue to be a problem. Let's read some verses together. Matthew 7, 15. Here's what Jesus said about bad teaching. Listen, can we agree, everybody online, everybody in here. Not everything you hear from a preacher a pastor, an evangelist or teacher is true. Yes or no? Right? Which is why Joe always says, listen, don't trust us. Don't believe us. Go to the Bible. Now, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes we sit in our office and go, man, Joe, you're making it hard on us, right? But he's true, right? 
You've got to go to Scripture to verify this. Because listen, there's a lot of people out there that are elegant in speech. They look good in their suit. And they sound so believable. Right? They're offended just enough. They're self-righteous just enough. They're indignant just enough. But in reality, they're just charlatans. There's plenty of those people out there. Jesus said this about false teachers. Watch out for false prophets. This was Jesus. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Right? Listen, they're going to present themselves as somebody that's on your side, but their agenda is going to be completely completely different. This has been a problem ever since we started planting churches, ever since the gospel got spread. Listen to 2 Corinthians 11. Paul writes this to a church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verses 12 through 15, he says this. And I'm going to keep on doing, Paul says, what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. Listen to this. Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... He says, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Listen, false teachers come in all shapes and sizes. And the Bible says that they're able to disguise themselves as angels of what? Of light. And why? Because Satan could do the same thing. Something that's really, really bad and really, really evil can disguise itself as something that's really, really good. A wolf in sheep's clothing. Right? How about this one in 2 Peter? Peter writes this in verses 1 through 3. There were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, Peter writes. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, Even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. That's important, right? We'll get back to that. They deny the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has been sleeping. False teachers, man, they were there during the days of Peter. They're here today. And here's the thing. In secret, they're going to spread false heresies, which is why the Bible constantly warns us, church, don't have anything to do with gossip and idle chatter. That kind of secret conversation is not of God. It is of the devil. Can I get an amen? Right? That belong in us, right? How about this one? First Timothy 4, 1 and 2. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith, right? We're going to get to that. Some are going to abandon the faith and they're going to follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Not only are these people false teachers, right? And not only are they hypocritical liars, their power and their source is demonic, right? 
We've got to be on guard. How about this one? First Timothy chapter six, verses three through five. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He's an unhealthy interest in controversies. Listen, he, these, you can tell these people they've got an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in what? Envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Listen. It's not like a false teacher doesn't identify themselves, right? You can see what they're, they're interested in. Divide by having arguments over words, right? Cause friction, right? Be motivated by money, right? Always, always an indicator of somebody who should be questioned in regard to what John says, test every spirit, right? How about this one? Second Timothy 4, 3 through 4. Talk about our day for time's going to come when men, mankind, is not going to put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they're going to gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They're going to turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It's coming. It's in our churches today. Listen, the biggest enemy the church faces is not from outside. It's from inside. It's from false teachers who've disguised themselves in a way to convince you and to convince me that they're outselling the truth. When in all reality, they're just wolves in sheep's clothing. And again, you get, you get an indication of how you notice that. These people don't want the truth. They simply want things that sound good to their ears, to tickle their ears, right? It's pleasing for them. Right? It doesn't literally tickle their ears, but to hear it makes them go, that's just exactly what we want to hear. Right? I mean, listen, I want people to come up to me and say, man, you look like you've lost weight, Cord. Right? And, and sometimes when I know I haven't lost weight, I just wear something really black so you'll think it. Right? So if I wear a dark shirt, some of you are like, oh, you're looking really good. When I just got on the scale that day and know that I didn't gain, lose any weight. And you're going to say, oh, man, you look really good. And I'm going to go, ooh, that feels good, right? And I'm going to, right? That's the picture of what he says. And listen, there are things in the Bible that you sometimes don't want to hear. Right? Whether it's about sexuality, whether it's about your money, whether it's about your pride, whether it's about your arrogance, whether it's about you name it, there are things we don't want to hear. And it's easy for us to want to gather teachers around us who simply say things we want to hear. Right? False teaching. There's a power behind it. Listen to what he says in, in uh, Jude chapter 3 and verse 4. Jude only has one chapter, verses 3 and 4. Dear friends... Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, he wanted to be encouraging. But here's what he says. I felt I had to write and urge you, urge you to contend or to fight for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Why? For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. 
They're godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and again deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Listen, at the heart, at the heart of false teaching is a denial of Jesus and his authority as our Lord and Savior. Listen, the minute you hear a teaching that transfers the authority of decision-making for a Christian from Jesus and his word to you, that's a false teacher. It's just not true. Galatians chapter 2, I don't have it up, but Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen? That sounds like we've, we've transferred authority over to somebody else. A false teacher can pick one area, can pick multiple areas, but all of a sudden, the power and the authority will be transferred back to you. Right? Listen, God doesn't want you to be unhappy. And God only cares that you love. And so if you love somebody... It truly doesn't matter if you're married or not. Listen, it truly doesn't matter if you're of the same sex or not. As long as you love, because God is love, it doesn't matter. It's okay. Just a really subtle shift of something that's true about God and shifts the decision-making authority from God's word about sex to you. It's the same thing with money. Listen, we talk about sex all the time. Sex is just an outward expression of an inward wrong. But money, man, money. You want to talk about where people go wrong? Money. Jesus said you can't serve both God and mammon. You can't serve the world. You can't serve God and serve possessions and wealth and all that. Because those two were opposed to each other. And yet, churches are filled every week and Communities online are filled with people who love Jesus. And yet that area, they haven't surrendered. They haven't surrendered. And so they come to church for free. They use the services for free. They complain about the sermon. And they didn't even put a dollar in the plate. And they ask and they say things like this. I just need to find a church that benefits me. I need to get something out of that church. Well, I can guarantee you, until you put something into it, you'll never get anything out of it that matters, right? <laughs> False teaching. The power of it is this, that it transfers the authority of our sovereign Lord Jesus to you. It's evil. And it's permeating our churches today. You need to be on guard. You need to make sure you know the word. Here's the second thing that Paul says. He says this, he says, there's a person, there's a person of bad teaching. Now, this is where we could spend the next several weeks. And if you were in my Saturday night class, I did. I spent several weeks talking about this because there's so much to cover, right? So listen to what he says in verse three. I'll just read it off the screen. He says this, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Because remember, they thought, and again, here's why. Here's one of the reasons why we believe the rapture of the church. And if you're not familiar with the word rapture of the church, very, very simply, it's the idea that there's coming a time that God will take his church and they will leave this world, 
right? And then God will finish His business, right? There's coming a time where we'll depart because our job as the church is done. The Thessalonians were discouraged because they thought the day of the Lord had already appeared, which meant they had to believe that if the day of the Lord was here, they missed the rapture. They should have already been gone. Instead, if they had been taught that the rapture didn't happen before the day of the Lord or the day of God's judgment, they would have been excited. They'd have been a step closer. Instead, they were discouraged and unsettled and easily shaken because they'd been taught by the time God comes to bring judgment, we should already be gone. And so he says to these people, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day God begins to pour out his wrath on mankind, that day will not come, he says, until, everybody say the word until. Listen, we may not know the day or the hour, but there are events we can know that will happen before Jesus comes in the form of the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. He said, it's not going to come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. All right. Who in the world, what, what in the world is the rebellion and who in the world is the man of lawlessness, right? Because, and listen, I'm only going to give you enough to confuse you. I'm going to give you enough to irritate you. Those of you that know more than what I give, you're just going to be aggravated because I didn't give enough. Those of you that know nothing are going to be like, what is he talking about? Right? Okay. That's why we can have more conversations, but our environment here doesn't allow for that lengthy discussion. Right? So let me just read some verses to you that give you an idea of what we're talking about. Right? So, and again, you can write these down. First John chapter two, okay, verse eighteen. Listen to what Paul write or John writes, dear children, this is the last hour. Meaning, this is the last. This is the last era we're in, right? This is it, right? This church era that we're in, this church season that we're in, right? This is it. Right When this is over, according to Romans 11:25, when God has completed the number of Gentiles who'll come to faith, it's over, right? He says, "This is the last hour, and you've heard that the, right? Not a, but the Antichrist is coming. There's coming a person who is called the Antichrist. Is everybody clear on that, right? And he says, even now, many antichrists have come. And this is how we know it's the last hour. Listen, the word antichrist is incredibly simple, right? Anti, against, right? Antiperspirant, against perspiring, right? 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 Anti, it means against Christ. And it also can mean in the Greek, in place of Christ. Right? So there is an antichrist. There is a person who's going to set himself up opposed to Jesus, against Jesus, sort of in a face-off. Here's God's Christ, Jesus, the son of Nazareth, and this is Satan's Christ, the antichrist. And he's coming, but did you hear what he said? The spirit of antichrist is already in the world today. 
It's already here. So listen to what it says in verse 22 and 23. Who's the liar? It is the man. Listen to this. It's the man or woman. It is the person who denies what? Everybody read it with me. Everybody online denies that Jesus is. Okay. That's the liar. Then he says, such a man or a woman is the antichrist because the spirit of an antichrist is one who denies the father and the son. He who denies the son has he, excuse me, let me start over. No one who denies the son. If you're in here today, if you're online here today and you haven't denied Jesus, but accepted him, let me hear you say amen. Amen. Right. He says, no one who denies the son has the father. Whoever acknowledges the son has the father also. So here's the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist denies the sovereignty of Jesus, denies who he is, denies he's the son of God, right? And in so doing, denies the father. Has that spirit of denying of Jesus been around for a long time? Been around forever. So guess what? The spirit of Antichrist is still present in our world today. But there's coming one who will embody the whole thing who will actually claim to be the Antichrist. One who will set himself up in the same position of power and acceptance as Jesus, except for another God. Because we've said this for years. I've said this for years to you, to the point that you've been annoyed by it before. Whose story is this? Come on, everybody say it. It's God's story. It's not my story. This book is not my story. It's whose story? It's God's story. And there's only one issue, only one thing that God is fighting for. And that is who is God? Who's God? And guess what? There are two forces battling for it. The God of creation and say it. Say Satan. Come on, say it again. Satan. That's what the story is about. The story is about a God of the universe who now has an enemy who says, I want to be God. Read Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. I want to set my throne room above heaven. I want to receive the accolades. I want to be God. And God fired him from his job. And he still wants to be God. And when he came and he met with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and tripped them up, God said, that's it. We're having a fight and you're going down. And the Bible is the story of that promise. God trying to keep the promise of taking Satan down. And he's doing it through Jesus. That's the whole point of this book. And so guess what? We're going to have a culmination of that disagreement. We're going to have the final shootout at the OK Corral. And before that happens, the Antichrist is going to come. And so what he says is you don't got to be shaken. You don't got to be shaken about thinking that you're already in the tribulation. None of that's happened. None of that's happened and none of it will happen until there's the rebellion, which is the falling away, right? It, it means to depart Right? It doesn't mean the rapture. It means an apostasy. Right? It means a great number of people who turn from their faith. Not people who didn't have faith, but people who had it and turn away from it. 
You want to know why we're constantly concerned about you staying connected to Jesus, to the Bible, and to your church? Is because a great number of people will forsake their faith in the rebellion. And if Satan can talk a third of the angels out of heaven, he can talk you out of your faith. Which is why you've got to be grounded. You've got to be connected. If you think you can do this on your own, no way. You'll never make it. None of us will. But the Antichrist is coming and the spirit of Antichrist is the denial of Jesus. The denial of who he is and the denial of God in heaven. That spirit has been around forever. Listen to what 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1 through 3 say. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Right? Listen. Don't believe every spirit that, that speaks. Right? He says this. Test the spirits to see whether they are what? Right? Whether they're from God. I've got a good friend who I've asked if I ever come across like something I say is, I can't use the word that we've agreed on, but her meter pops and says, that's not right. She has permission to come and say to me, I think that's poor. I think you're wrong. I think that's off. Right? Her, her meter goes off and says, that's probably the wrong thing. Right? Because many, the reason you test is because many false prophets have already gone out into the world, John says. And this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Listen, now listen. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So listen, let me just give you a little bit of encouragement. Are there preachers that you hear teach things that you go, oh, I hate that. All they talk about is money. All they care about is tongues and all they care about is this. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Have they denied Jesus come from God? Or have they not? Because listen, I preached some really bad sermons when I was 22. Some really stupid stuff. Stuff that I don't know why people ever went to church. Or at least why they ever came back. Joe and I talked about this last week. We preached some really bad sermons. And some of the things we taught when we were 22, we have changed our mind about since we've become almost 60. But here's what we know. We never, ever, ever denied the sovereignty of Jesus. We never, ever denied that Jesus was the only way to get right with God. Sure, we may have been wrong about some stuff, but we weren't wrong about the big thing. And that's why Paul said from a prison cell, I don't care if people preach Jesus out of false motives. I don't care if they preach it just to get rich. As long as they preach Jesus, I don't care. You want to know why? Because God works all things together for good. Listen, so what? A preacher may misrepresent something that you think, oh, we can't associate with those people. Listen, just because they don't teach everything the way you want doesn't mean they're false teachers or they're the antichrist. As long as they're not denying the sovereignty of Jesus and as long as they're preaching that Jesus is Lord and Savior, somebody say amen, right? God can do amazing things with that, right? 
Second John 1 7 says this. Many deceivers who don't, do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. You get the picture? Antichrist, the spirit of the antichrist denies Jesus. They deny his deity, right? They deny his incarnation. They deny his relationship with the father. Those are the spirit of antichrist. You want to know where the antichrist is reaching people? Find the churches or the faith that do not teach that Jesus is deity and incarnate. Those are the teachings that are of the Antichrist. Don't look at a church like Calvary who may teach gifts in a way that we don't and go, oh, we can't associate with them. Jim Braley preaches that the only way to be saved is to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Listen, they are on our side. They're on our team. And we should do everything we can to partner with people who believe in the deity of Jesus. Because there's a spirit at work in the world to pull people away from him. Can I get an amen? Listen, one of the greatest things I love about Joe is the first time we came, we sat here and they put this thing up on the screen at the beginning and said, hey, this is the church of the day and this is the pastor of the day and this is who we're praying for. Most churches don't even want to mention another church's name because we're afraid somebody might like that church better and go to it. And Joe was busy going, we're going to pray for this church and we're going to put this church up front because you know what? The one thing I love about Joe, and as much as Joe always wants to be first, Joe always wants the kingdom to win. So if we partner with people, yeah, you can clap for that. And here's the thing. You've bought into it. You do it too. And you should keep doing it. The only, the only thing to know about the spirit of Antichrist is that it denies the deity of Jesus and denies the incarnation of Jesus. It doesn't take you very long research to know where those people are at. Right? How about this verse? Revelation 13. Man, I am running out of time. Woo! Right? This is in Revelation 13, right? Because this man of lawlessness, this man of sin, this man of perdition, right? The lawless one, right? Ultimately, he's the Antichrist in Scripture, right? When we talk about the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the son of destruction, right? The lawless, when we talk, we're talking about the Antichrist. The Antichrist from 1 John 3.18, we know that the... Not A, but the Antichrist is coming. The embodiment of everything that Satan stands for. The most evil person in the entire world will be the Antichrist. He hasn't come yet. Revelation 13 describes him. And the dragon stood on the shore. The devil. If you study Revelation, right? The devil stood on the shore. The dragon stood on the shore. Sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. Now that beast, we know from studying scripture, studying Revelation, is the Antichrist. You don't have to take my word for it. Go do your research if you want to. I would, I would implore you to. But that reference to the beast coming out of the sea is the Antichrist. And he says he had ten horns and seven heads. Ten crowns. On his horns, not on his heads, and on each head, a blasphemous name was written. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. He says, the dragon gave the, listen, the dragon, 
the devil, gives the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Why? Because Satan wants to be who? So everybody say it. Satan wants to be who? He wants to be God. And to be God, he wants to have his Messiah, his Christ. And so he gives his authority to this beast. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound. So he's going to describe here. But the fatal wound was healed. He says the whole world was astonished and follows the beast. Listen, we, we could be here forever, right? Let's move on. Men, do you know how that you know if you're a God or not? People will worship you. That's how you know if you're a God. Not because you walk around saying, I'm a God, I'm a God, right? The way that you know if you're a God is people worship you, right? Men worship the dragon. That's exactly what Satan wanted from the very beginning. When you read the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel in 28, here's what you hear. Lucifer wanted worship. He wanted worship. Men worship the dragon. Why? Because he had given, listen to this, this is why the Antichrist is so powerful. Because he had given authority to the Antichrist or to the beast and they also worshiped the beast and they asked, who's like him? Who can make war against him? Listen, it came across like he was dead and he was what? Resurrected. Right? Isn't it amazing that the Antichrist also resurrects? And it says the whole world saw it. How do you think the whole world's going to see the Antichrist be resurrected? Right here. And listen, don't look at the phone and go, See, I told you it was evil. That's ridiculous. The devil's not stupid. He knows how to use the internet, right? But so does God, because some of you have the version Bible up pulled up right now, don't you? Right? Listen, it's not about this, but you want to know why technology is such a big deal? Because everybody's going to see this, this antichrist take a fatal wound and then he's going to rise from the dead and the whole world's going to go, oh, we've got a savior. Do you know how many people saw Jesus resurrected? Less than a thousand. The whole world's going to see the Antichrist come back from the dead. And they're going to follow him. Right? Bring that, bring that verse, the verse previous back up. Right? Who's like the beast and who can make war against him? He goes on to say the beast was given a mouth. The beast has a mouth to do what? He's going to utter proud words, blasphemies, and to exercise his authority for how long? For 42 months. That's three and a half years. That's half of the seven-year tribulation. So if you study the end times, you know that according to Daniel's prophecy that we can't get into, that there is a percentage of time, right, that God has set to redeem Israel. 483 years have been accounted for. We have seven left, and that's the seven years of the tribulation. Half of those years will be lived in peace. The Antichrist will sign a covenant with Israel and provide peace, and everything will seem great. We'll have, we'll have one world religion, we'll have a one world leader, and everything will be great. And at the three and a half year mark, everything's going to change. Because remember, what does Satan want? He wants to be who? He wants to be God. He's only playing nice for three and a half years to get what he wants. And ultimately, he knows that to be worshipped, he's got to give his power to the beast. 
And the beast, it says, is going to rule for three and a half years. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God, the Antichrist does, to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. The Antichrist is given authority over, listen to this, over every tribe, every people, every language, and every nation. Listen, when the Antichrist comes, it's going to be hell on earth. The people that live here are going to be under the authority of the Antichrist. Part of the reason we believe in the rapture isn't just because we believe the Bible teaches, because we don't want to be here for this. Right? We don't want to be there. He says all inhabitants of the earth, all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Did you read this word? All. The church won't be here because we worship who? We worship God and we worship his son, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? But those left, right? Those left will worship the beast, the the antichrist and all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone, we would just stop there, right? Listen, the antichrist isn't a person to mess around with. And here's the thing, he's coming. And it's according to the plan of God. Listen, God's sovereign. You may not get it, you may not understand it, but God's in charge of this plan. You say, why didn't he hurry up? I don't know. I, all I know is, is that when the number of Gentiles is fully reached, I believe the church gets raptured out of here. I don't know about you, but I'm ready, right? But at the same time, I'm not ready because guess what? I've got family members and friends that don't know Jesus, haven't been washed in the blood. And the minute the church leaves, they're in trouble because the church will leave and the Antichrist will appear. He is the person ultimately of the bad teaching. There's a power of the bad teaching, right? The power of bad teaching is the spirit of the Antichrist that denies the deity and the incarnation of Jesus. And the person of all bad teaching is ultimately Satan and his Christ. It's behind all of that, right? I want to read just a couple more passages to you. I want to read uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. So skip Matthew 24, Daniel 9. You can read those on your own, right? Listen to what he says here. Don't, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day, right? The day of the Lord will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man who's doomed to destruction. Listen to what he's going to do. He's going to oppose and exalt himself, exalt himself over what? Come on, everybody say that word. Everything that is called God, including God, or is worshipped, right? And he's going to set himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be what? God. Now, why is that a big deal? Go back there, David, to Matthew 24, the passage right before Daniel 9. Matthew chapter 24 and verses 15 through 22. So when you see, this is Jesus in response to questions the disciples asked him about when the end times were going to come, right? What will be the sign of these things and when will the end come? Jesus says, when you see standing in the holy place, the holy place is located in which building? The temple. He said, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. 
right? So, if you go to Daniel 9, right? Listen, you can't understand Revelation if you don't understand Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, right? But here's what you hear. There's going to come a moment where in God's temple, and yes, I will believe there will be a physical temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. And in that physical temple, at the three and a half year mark, the Antichrist is going to march himself into the Holy of Holies. And he is going to usurp God's position. And he's going to set himself up in the Holy of Holies as the one true God. The abomination of desolation. That will usher in the last three and a half years of what the Bible clearly calls the Great Tribulation. And Revelation is incredibly descriptive about what hell God will unleash on this earth during that three and a half year mark. Listen, this is a, this is a multi-layered lesson. But what you need to know for your and for my benefit is this. There's a power behind false teachers. And it is the spirit of Antichrist. Because Satan wants to be God. And the last thing he wants is for you to accept Jesus. And through Jesus, worship God. Right? There is a person who's the focus of bad teaching. And that is ultimately Satan and his false messiah, the Antichrist. He's not here yet. You want to know why I know he's not here yet? Because we're here. Right? He hasn't presented himself yet. So when somebody says to me, oh, you know, well, I'm not going to say any names, but you know, people always, he's the Antichrist. No, he's not. No, he's not. Listen, there's going to be no doubt when the Antichrist appears. It's not going to be complicated to, to point him out. Right? It just won't be hard to figure out. Right? But here's what I want you to know. And then I want to, let me read this real quick. I know we're just about over time here, but listen to the end of second Thessalonians, because this is incredibly important, right? Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses nine through 12. It's that last verse there. There you go. So he says, the coming of the antichrist will be in accordance with the work of Satan, right? Displayed. Here's how he's going to come. He's going to display it in all kinds of counterfeit miracles. See any counterfeit miracles in the world? There's going to be counterfeit miracles. There's going to be signs and wonders, right? And in every sort of evil, every sort of evil that deceives the people who are perishing, who are lost. Here's why these people perish. Because they refused to love the truth and be saved. What happens then? For this reason. What reason? Because they don't want to love the truth. They just don't want to love the truth. And so what God's going to do during the tribulation is he's going to send them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the what? He's not going to cause them to believe the lie, but he's certainly going to give them help in accepting the lie as truth. Because there's coming a day and time, church, where God's grace will be over and it will be time for God's wrath. And that will take place during the great tribulation. He goes on to say, so that they will all be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in what? Listen, at the end of the day, the reason people don't want to accept the truth is because they want to delight in wickedness. That's what they want. Why do kids not want to come home at curfew? Because they want to delight in wickedness. Right? 
At the end of the day, we ignore the truth because we want to get away with something or with something else we want to do, right? You can always tell people who don't want to love the truth because they have other things they want to be, other things they want to be doing. But there's a power of the Antichrist and there is a person called the Antichrist. And here's the last thing. The last thing is this. There is the prompting of bad teaching. Why did Paul say all this? Because at the end of chapter 2, he says this, starting in verse 13. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me stop right there. We don't all agree about everything in this room and online. Yes or no? Say it. Say it like you know that's true. Right? But we are all on the same team. Right? It does not do God's kingdom, our team, any good to constantly be critical of each other. It's such... It's such an invitation to the enemy that he can win. Listen, I've played sports my entire life. All of them team sports. Because I love the idea of a team. And the worst thing that happens on any team isn't that you lose. It's that your team decides that the enemy is on your team. There's too many Christians who sit around talking bad about each other. There's too many Christians that gossip about each other. There's too many Christians that just shake their head and point their finger. Listen, we have an enemy, Satan. And he has his representative come in the Antichrist. And the spirit of the Antichrist works in the world today to draw people away from Jesus. And here's the thing. The enemy isn't in this room. The enemy never stands on this stage. Never sits in that chair. Never watches online. If you are saved by Jesus, you're not the enemy. May you, may you or I come across sometimes like a real pain in the you know what? Yes. That's why Proverbs 19.11 says it's to your glory to get over that offense. Right? Not everything in the world is a cause for strife and uproar and gossip. We've got work to do. We've got people to get to the knowledge of Jesus as their Lord and Savior because there's coming a time where that's not going to be offered to people. And what we can't do is we can't point fingers and fight with each other. What we should do every day is give thanks for each other. Listen, I know things don't always go your way around here. Boo-hoo. Things don't always go my way around here. Right? Get over it. Because guess what? As I told one of my buddies today, This ain't your kingdom and it ain't mine. It's ultimately God's. So you think you're smart enough to run it? You're not. I'm not either, right? We can have disagreements. We can have discussions. But at the end of the day, we're all on this same team. And here's the thing. We all want the same thing. We want people to be saved through the blood of Jesus. Let's not get sidetracked. And then he says this. Here's the prompting. First of all, we should be in this together. Be grateful for each other. Don't fight with each other. And then he says this. So brothers and sisters, everybody say those two words with me. Stand firm. firm And hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus himself and God our Father, who loved us, 
who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Listen, you're going to have to stand strong. And you're going to have to do it based upon good teaching. Listen, if you're not reading your Bible, man, you better start. If you're not in a group being taught, you need to be. If you're not coming or not joining online and listening, you need to be. Because listen, if you're not going to be aware of what the truth is delivered to you through this revelation of God's will, you're going to be a child, according to Ephesians, tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. Listen, if we're going to stay in this and we're going to see our kids and our grandkids and our friends and our neighbors come to faith in Jesus, you've got to stay strong. And you've got to stay strong based on the word. Because man, without that solid foundation, what are you going to hang on to? You're going to hang on to the next glimpse of hope, right? In the next shiny, tweetable saying, you're going to go, that's what I need or that's what I want. Listen, it's nice to say things that are tweetable on Twitter. It's nice to have these great social media one-line posts. But the Bible isn't one line. The Bible is a story of truth. And it takes some effort to hold to those teachings. Because at the end of the day, you and I are going to need to stand firm. Because Satan, he's coming. And he ain't playing. He could care less about your life and your marriage and your kids and your job. You want to know why? Because he just wants to be God and you're just in the way. And so they're coming. So my encouragement is this. Be aware of the spirit of Antichrist. It's only those who teach that Jesus isn't God and that he didn't come in flesh. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. And be aware. This is happening. The Antichrist is coming. The very representative of everything that Satan stands for will show up on this planet in person. And when he unleashes his tirade and he finally makes himself known to the world, God's wrath will be poured out on this place. And I pray that we're gone. And I pray that those people we love will have already accepted Jesus. But the prompt is this. Stand firm. And stand firm on this. Because that's the only way we're ever going to hang on to the truth. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, Paul's writings. It's, you know, it's just mind-boggling. We watch sci-fi movies. We watch end of times things, Lord. And it's just all so hard to process. We've got our own problems. We've got our own issues. We're trying to make... We're trying to make rent due. We're trying to get along in our marriage. We're trying to raise our kids. We're trying not to get fired. We're trying to deal with our health issues. we get so many things that just take our time and effort. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would illuminate in each of us that, man, there is a bigger fight going on. And that that fight will come to a culmination. And that you will wipe away your enemy with the breath of your mouth. And I pray that in the meantime, Lord... We'll stand firm. We'll know your word. And if we don't know it, we'll make sure that we're in a place to learn it so that we can do the work that you've called us to do. Father, I am so grateful for this church. I'm so grateful for our church online. And my prayer is, Father, that you'll just continue to grow them in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. God bless you, church.